Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit TimeSys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Hi, this is Gene Sally And Maciej. And we're going to do our regular uh, uh, podcast uh, this week, except it'll be uh, completely different because we uh, stopped at the Ontario Linux Fest. It will, it will be actually very, very different uh, yeah. because you will hear, uh, well, it will be a, a permanent interview with one of the uh, uh, people we um, had a pleasure interviewing at the uh, at the fest, at sure. The fest. Yeah, uh, it was fun for him. I mean, after we unshackled him, he, he got up and ran away. But I think I think while we were recording, it was okay. But we we lasted. Uh, well, I guess Ontario Linux Fest. It's a, a yeah, yeah. Thirty second thing for that. It's a great get together. There had to be what five or six hundred people there. Oh, there was like, uh, like by the bus huge load. crowds. Yeah, um, I know you got there around noon, right? I, I had to get there early to get the booth set up because you, you told me to get there early to get the booth set up and everything. And Well, I was uh, just trying to get the, the missing pieces for well, yeah, book, you. But, I am uh, at Office Depot and, <laughs> and it was like noon and then you finally yeah, got There's no Office stuff. Depot in Canada, at least not that I could find. Oh, so what were you doing? <laughs> Staples, man. <laughs> but anyway, so we, we were at the Ontario Linux Fest and um, uh, we got we interviewed a lot of folks. Uh, the guy we're gonna uh, that we talked to is um, Mad Dog Hall, and he was a great, yep. he was a fantastic interview. We had we had a lot of time. He was really he was really generous with us, and he gave us a fairly long interview. And uh, we're gonna try to get as much of it in this episode as we can. And at the same time, we interviewed some other great folks as well, uh, folks from Red Hat, folks. Matter of fact, we yeah. interviewed someone. I don't know if it'll make it on our podcast, but she was from Goodwill and talked about. Goodwill Industries mm-hmm. and talked about the positive impact uh, of Linux. So we, we got some embedded you know, people that did with worked with embedded, and then we got some other people that didn't didn't really work with uh, yeah. Linux in an embedded context, but nonetheless, we're doing really worthwhile things with Linux. We, we actually talked to people that uh, work with Linux in general, mm-hmm. not embedded necessarily. So there was this distinction also between embedded Linux and just sure. the desktop Linux. Um, but we also talked to people about um, well, not Linux necessarily, but Java. Uh, oh, one yeah. of our Can't first that. That we interviewed uh, talked to us about Java, which was very interesting. So uh, we're definitely going to um, uh, spend some time and, and do um, some of the post-production on, of, of some of that material, mm-hmm. and we'll uh, post that on our site uh, as soon as possible. But sure. Today, without um, further ado, uh, let's jump to uh, the interview with uh, Matt Doc Hall. Great. So what do you guys want to talk about? Well, we do a podcast for embedded Linux, and uh, and so we a lot of the folks that listen in for us have questions or problems or concerns or pain points around getting Linux to run on a small device. Ah. Uh, small meaning resources, right? And small also usually meaning size as well. Yes. Um, and see, small to me is, is like 4K of memory and stuff like that, right? And well, it's today's small, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah. good point. See, that's, that's the point. And, and things keep changing, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's the economics of the whole situation yeah. where if you start to look at what manufacturers are doing with memory, they say, hey, what we're doing now is we're making the 8 megabyte chips. And if you want a 4 megabyte chip, it's going to cost you more than the 8 megabyte yeah. chip. Oh, yeah. Because right. we're not set up for that. And if yeah. we have to disrupt our run of 8 megabyte chips, mm-hmm. it's going to cost us more money. So here, this is an 8 megabyte chip. Just use half of it. Don't tell us if you're using the other half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you well, see- that, that would be possible just to chop the chip in <laughs> half. And <laughs> oh, yeah. It'd be nice if we could do that. But, you know, electrically yeah. speaking, that's a disaster. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Yeah, well, I mean, we're seeing the same too in the in the microcontroller arena. So, uh, you know, we work with a company that you know, creates an ARM chip. It's an ARM system on a chip, and for all intents and purposes, 
this one die will have uh, you know serial. It'll have uh, the network on it, and you know it'll be a ARM core, and, and that's it. And so that's what their production run is. So it doesn't really matter if you're not using one or two or three pieces of that. It's you know eight dollars a chip, no matter what. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and on the other hand, there are some people that are producing so much of stuff that just the savings of fifty cents mm-hmm. or a dollar, mm-hmm. and then there's the opposite side of it. Got so much surface area to die. If you're using it for these things, if, if, if these things are taking up that surface area, sure. and you could be using it for something else. You know, that's a really good point uh, that Mad Dog makes, and I completely agree. You know, the specs on an embedded system in the past, even the past ten years, have you know, it's they're a different class of machine, right? I mean, you do see the systems on a chip, and that's typically what people work with. But the really interesting effect, Mache, is that even within that ever-expanding machine power memory context there's still a desire to make it as small as possible within that window i agree and and i i don't think that that's going to ever change because um by minimizing um minimizing that footprint that Mm -hmm. um solution um you're managing uh not only the speed of um, the system but also complexity you you, you're managing the power consumption oh yeah uh you you're probably gonna have less tasks that are executing in the background yeah. So. Well, I was at a I was at a customer right, and they were putting this equipment inside a defense vehicle. All this is unnamed. Right? I'm, I'm sure if I say the wrong things in the air, the black helicopters are coming. Yeah, but, I'm going to say beep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a defense system, and um, and so you, it was. But you figure they really wouldn't care because you know it's a, it's on a great big craft with a yeah. three mile island in the back of it. And as as it worked out, they cared to a great degree about making it as small as possible. And uh, they wanted to consume as less energy as possible, mm-hmm. and they wanted to have it boot as fast as possible. And then, granted, these were, you know, full full scale power PC uh, uh, things, you know, devices they were working on. And so, by no means were they un, you know, or low power computers. Yeah. But they still cared about making things as small and efficient as possible. Yeah, and that and that actually goes back to the point that you made earlier, mm-hmm. Gene. That um, you don't want to carry um, a little nice little computer in a hand mm-hmm. and a backpack full of batteries with you. Right? Oh yeah. Um, and, and you do want to minimize the heat. Um, dissipation you you don't want to uh produce more and or lose more energy than than you have to yeah well for something like a consumer consumer device size and power consumption are will always be paramount because Mm -hmm. they have a certain you know the designer shows up with all the piercings and decides that this is going to be the form factor the device has to go in and it's going to go in that device and so Mm -hmm. if you if you take too much of uh of your power budget up your battery won't won't last long enough and it'll be less attractive to to people that were were interested in the device so so i guess what it comes down to the entire spectrum i guess is still affected by this minimization yeah and i think what it comes down to is that in embedded systems even though you have access to all those great terabytes of uh, storage Mm -hmm. and and and, uh, you know super fast computers what counts is um, selecting the the right components to do the right job. Yeah, that's true. And when you do that, um, you 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 basically handpicking um, what components you're going to need, what boards, what um, you know, what kind of power you're going to need, and, and you manage that um, hardware side of it of, of your solution, which um, at the same time carry certain requirements for um, footprint, performance, and, and power consumption. Oh yeah, I agree. Right on. I'm going to slightly change the, the topic because uh, what I wanted to um, uh, talk about is uh, what our customers or customers in embedded space in general 
are looking for and how they design the system. We, we observe that <clears throat> a lot of companies, we, we, we see a lot of uptake in what we call a roll-your-own Linux, where companies come to reali- realization that Linux is open, Linux is free, it's not that hard to get it up and running on embedded device, and they start, you know, um, the, going up that steep curve of um, finding out what that really means, right? So they have to configure the Linux kernel, they have to play with root file system. A lot of companies have uh, also other challenges, which is, for example, when they build something that they consider proprietary, one of the concerns that they have is that because Linux is open source, because it's licensed under GPL, how to keep the control over certain intellectual property. So I want to point out that part of the reason why Mache sounded so uncomfortable was because the, the BSD girl across the way who showed me her underwear earlier in the morning uh, kept pelting us with, uh, with these stuffed penguin things. Mm-hmm. And so it was really difficult. I, I, yeah, I could I, not focus because uh, some little penguins were flying your way and, and the, distracting my uh, vision. <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, so these things were hit. So I'm so sorry about that. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. That's why it sounded very good. Because, you know, the guy doing the podcast who helps us with the mixing is like, why don't you record, re-record that so it sounds better? But I, I wanted to, I wanted you to get the full flavor of the <laughs> Was of that the, the voice of uh, our, our, well, Paul? Yeah. Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. Let's keep going because this, this is the interesting part of the podcast. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that depends upon whether the functionality that they're adding is actually in the operating system or in the kernel mm-hmm. versus something which could be considered to be a layered application on mm-hmm. top of the kernel. Yep. It just so happens to be... Uh, loosely consolidated, as Richard Stallman likes to say, inside of a piece of iron. Mm-hmm. So when the Cobalt Cube first came out a few years ago, I mean, uh-huh. that was a neat little system. It had a Linux inside of it. Mm-hmm. It had a uh, Oracle database engine inside of it. And people were asked the same question. Is this going to be affected by the GPL? Is, is, is Oracle mm-hmm. going to have to distribute the source code for the yeah. database engine? Of yeah. course, that would be under, uh, under uh, Larry Ellis's cold, dead body, right? Yeah. <laughs> And I asked Richard about that, and he says, no, no, that's loose, that's loosely aggregated software, and, and obviously that isn't supposed to be controlled by the GPL. Right. So you can, you can extend that same argument to an embedded system. Now, from my viewpoint, whenever people talk about the GPL changing code and stuff, it comes down to a monocle of sense about this. Mm-hmm. If you are taking somebody else's code that they wrote, and they have a they have a right to say what happens to that code, and you now and you're licensed under a specific license that says this is how you distribute it, and this if you change it, everything. Then you're bound to, to go with that license, yeah. and you know. But on the other hand, if you write a piece of code, you don't use anybody else's code. This code is brand new, and it's on it's not intermixed with anything. It's on top. Then that's code that you should have a right to say how you license it, and what you do. I agree, and uh, a lot of, uh, especially um, manufacturers that produce the, the video acceleration engines, that that was their concern, right? Because um, they have to write a device driver, they have to integrate somehow into Linux kernel. So how do they do that without um, mm-hmm. really, um, well, 
violating a GPL license, and, and that was always in flux. And well, I mean, but this is also why Lita's Torvalds like to use GPL version two mm-hmm. on the kernel. Yes. and there were plenty of device drivers, binary-only device drivers, that were uh, able to be loaded into the Linux kernel. Yeah. The reason that the, that the kernel device uh, people didn't like that, the, the kernel people didn't like that, was because they had no way of updating that driver as the kernel interfaces changed. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they, they greatly preferred having source code uh, device drivers. Right. On an embedded system, you have less need of that because typically the person who's building the embedded system is also controlling the device driver and is going to put exactly. stuff all in at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was a real there was a real reason for doing that, but the, the, the Linux kernel made provisions not only for binary device drivers, but also for binary kernel modules. Yes. Right. I mean, again, my feeling is that the person who writes the code should have the right to say what, what happens to it. And the person who buys the device should have the right to say whether they're going to buy that device with a closed source device driver. Exactly. Or whatever. As long as the information is disclosed, right. that should be fair. Right? Right. It's a fair game. We talked to uh, Mad Dog also about uh, concerns that people have with um, GPL licensing and um, you know legal implications of um, uh, well open source software. Yeah, that's huge. There's, there are a lot of folks that, and it's typically they've either been uh, scared by someone trying to sell them in a, a proprietary operating system about uh, things that you know the, that their software will immediately become open to the public domain and everyone will be able to have the source code and. Uh, and most of the time, like that's not really true. And people don't, you know, people, I mean, people in general, but folks that are considering Linux for their embedded project, sometimes get hung up on uh, GPL and what it means, and it's going to form some sort of liability uh, on their behalf that they may or may not be interested in fulfilling. So uh, th- this opinion, by any chance, is not actually a, 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 a like a legal opinion, but um, oh, here's, God, no. here's what uh, Mad Dog actually talked to us about. Sure. So this is one of the challenges that um, I heard many, many times from um, customers in embedded space because that, that dictates whether they go with Linux or not, right? If they, if they feel comfortable with the answer... They go with that, but very often, um, you know, lawyers get involved, and um, well, even if the answer is yes, you can go with Linux, it's not always that that simple. Well, and and, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of lawyers who will blame me <laughs> for this, but I like to remind people that lawyers are advisors to people who are in business, yeah. and the people, in, you know, the people in business cannot cannot give up their responsibility to make decisions just because their lawyer said, you know, the lawyer tells you what the risks are and things like that, and whether it's legal or illegal, but, you know, the the person who actually owns the business is still responsible for making the decision. Well, the other thing, much is, you know, my saying that's always stuck in my head is it's a lawyer's job to find problems. Right. They're not really into the solution business, but they're in the problem-finding business. That's right. And um, it's, it's not a ding against the profession, but that's their orientation. Well, except I have found some, some lawyers who are very good at giving solutions, too. Right? You know, but, but you're right. I mean, their, their job is to protect you from making a mm-hmm. mistake that would get you into trouble. That's yes. their first job. Yeah. And then their second job. And, and the other thing that, of course, the problem with you know, 
when, if a lawyer tells you something which they think is a perfectly viable answer and it does get you in trouble, mm -hmm. then, you know, they, they end up with egg on their face. So yes. They're, they're conservative. They're conservative. Oh, no, no argument at all. What are the kind of like obstacles that you see today in, in adoption of Linux as a platform of choice for both desktop and, uh, let's say, an embedded device, if you have that insight? Okay, so when I was back at Digital Equipment Corporation, I learned a very important lesson when it comes to operating systems and their acceptance by various people, okay? We used to have ISVs, independent software vendors, come to us all the time and say, I can't port my application to your particular version of Unix because mm -hmm. you don't have this development tool, you don't have this compiler, you don't have this on there. And then we would go through all these mm -hmm. hoops to get that particular development thing on there or whatever, and they still wouldn't port their application. So after a while, one of these guys took me aside and said, Mad Dog, I'm going to tell you a secret. He says, it's all about volume. Okay? <laughs> he says, and it really doesn't make any difference at all when mm -hmm. we tell you about the, the obstacles of putting your stuff yeah. on there. If you come to us and say, next week you're going to sell 10 million copies of your operating system and we're going to get 5% yeah. penetration of our product into your system, yeah. he says, we will tell you that we have had it working in-house in for like three months and we're yeah. all set to go. Yeah. He says, it's all about volume, volume, yeah. volume, volume, so volume. Business, business side actually drives whether it's doable or not. And that's always been the case, I guess. Absolutely. And on the opposite side, you could have the easiest port in the world. Yeah. But if these people don't see a volume and a sustainable volume, mm -hmm. they're not going to port. That's true. Right? Yeah. And there's a very good reason for this. So from time to time, we'd have this big contract. And the, the person who had the big contract would, go to the, would go to come to us and say, hey, I need to have this application on there. Mm -hmm. So we go to the vendor, we convince mm -hmm. them to do the board, mm -hmm. and sure, they would sell 10,000 copies of their product on our platform, mm -hmm. but that was the last copy they ever sold. And now, they're stuck through all the rest of time mm -hmm. in updating that, then when they update it, they have to qualify it, you know, and all this stuff for, you know, this one customer. Uh -huh. And so people say, no, I'm sorry. I've been stuck with that before, right? I want to see a continuing volume. I want to see continuing sales. And if I don't see that, I'm just not going to go down. I'll, I'll, I'll walk away from the sale yeah. rather than mm -hmm. get stuck in that situation. Mm -hmm. yeah. So now that we understand it's all about volume, yeah. now we can go back to the original days of Linux coming out. And people say, and people about the year 2000 say, hey, we're going to jump on this. We're going to put Linux on all these workstations and notebooks, mm -hmm. and everybody was happy. Take a look at the IBM ThinkPad line. How many ThinkPads are out there in their entire line, now Lenovo, in their entire line of ThinkPads? It's the X series, the T series, the A series, N yeah. Just, just, a lot of, yeah. And in each series, it's a whole bunch of them, right? Oh, yeah. So think about how many systems that IBM had to make sure that Linux worked on, mm -hmm. and it worked on with a set of peripherals, and it was all tuned to that. Mm -hmm. That's a huge amount of testing. Yeah. So they, they put it out there on all these different systems, and then the Linux people come along and say, okay, we'll take three, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's a lot of expense. Yeah. yeah. So it took some time. It's, it's a catch-22 situation. You know, you get more people interested in Linux than the laptops, then more vendors come out and put Linux on, there'd be more ISVs who report and mm -hmm. so forth. Mm -hmm. And it keeps in this circle. Mm -hmm. We keep gaining more and more and more 
people, more and more and more sales. Yep. There's more and more people who go back and revisit the issue again and say, okay, we'll now play with more systems mm-hmm. and we'll have more applications. Yeah. And the other thing you can see is happening is Intel opened up their video drivers, yeah. ATI opened up their video drivers, you know, mm-hmm. NVIDIA is now sweating. Under pressure. They yeah. Sweating yeah. because they have to say, are we going to keep ours closed yeah. and lose out of these sales, particularly right. to our competitors, right. or are we going to go ahead and open it up? Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of things, and, and it comes down to the point where a company is willing to lose 5% of their sales to their competitors to not do a port or right. not to mm-hmm. something. They're not willing to lose 15 or 20% or 30% of their sales to their competitors. Right. right. They're just not willing to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as the as the Linux market continues to grow, there'll be more and more people who say, oh, yeah, of course I've done a port. It's where, actually, it's been working for like three months now. And it's you just, you know, yeah. here it is. Right. And it'll happen and things will come up. And uh, one of the challenging pieces that you've mentioned, I guess, even before we started our recording, is the tool chain. <laughs> And, and how difficult it is to, to build the right tool chain for the job, right? And, and then harness that tool chain in the build environment to do the right things. So yeah. if you decide to do uh, to modify the platform, to develop your own application, you want to have a good set of tools as a... Well, and this actually is, is, is a place where some of the vendors say that's, that's their value add, right? I mean, you know... The GPL says you have to make all the source code available so that somebody yeah. can fix something. But that doesn't mean that you have to make your entire build environment right. available for them. Mm-hmm. And while they may be able to duplicate a certain amount of your build environment, that the speed, the ease of use of stuff and building this stuff is, is one of your value adds. Yeah. And, and I know what we see, too, is for you know people that work on embedded systems typically are under deadline pressure, especially the folks that are out there that do consumer electronics devices. There's a very small window, and having open source lets them get in there, and even if there's a, a problem or a defect, they can manage that much easier than dealing with an external vendor. Right, but so, so let's take the two of these things and put them together. Right? Yeah. There were companies like Monta Vista, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and all of them that were doing embedded real-time stuff, and they would they would license out their tools to you and things like that, so you can yeah. fix everything. And yet they were still there that if you ran into a big problem, yeah. that they had the expertise to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a mixture of these different things. Like if they did get busy, you had a choice of being able to stay with them or go get somebody else to help you out. But that was your choice, your business decision, yeah. right? Not the business decision of somebody else. Right? Yeah. That is a good point. I mean, that's why a lot of people dig in and, and take embedded Linux because they do have that control. I mean, it, uh, some you know, depending. I mean, from a business perspective, how they go out and solve things is, you know, oh. people take different routes. But oh. it's you, all it's about still, control. But it's still your pick. You still have control. Yes. It's all about. It's all about control. You couldn't see us, but as he's telling us, our heads are bobbing back up and forth, and it's not back and forth. Yeah, back and forth, and it wasn't uh, Tim Horton's donut and caffeine rush. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, really, that's why you get into. Uh, Linux, because you do have a degree of control that is unprecedented in software. Absolutely. You can change every single line in the GPL license code 
uh, you can alter it. You can uh, adopt it for your specific needs. Yeah. And you can provide it um, back to uh, your customers or other users. Yeah. And you can make a choice about how you want to do that. I mean, you can either have that expertise in-house. You can go and you know contract out that workout to somebody. And because it's GPL, make sure you get back the finished work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that level of control is is fantastic. And I and I think that's why I was going to say. I think I mean that is why people are so attracted to Linux and embedded because you need a high level of control, and only Linux offers you. That, that amount level. of control. And, and that back to what we actually talked to Mad Dog uh, about earlier, uh, if you do want to protect some of the uh, your own company's IP, you can under, uh, well, in Linux, using still Linux. Sure. It's just that you have to follow certain um, rules, certain guidelines, and, and you're perfectly fine. Yeah. So that, that I, we had a lot more uh, talk time for Mad Dog, and I think that's all we have for... For today's episode, we have a couple other interviews that we're just going to uh, release uh, as well, probably soon after this one comes out. Uh, right. From other folks we we talked to, that said very fortunate, you know, wonderfully nice people, and you know, great, fascinating, uh, great, fascinating topics they cover. Yeah, uh, we have, I, I believe, uh, twenty more minutes of material uh, from recordings with Mad Dog. But, sure. Um, given uh, the time that we had for this podcast. I, I think that we've passed on to you um, the most uh, interesting um, yeah. parts. Others, you know, we were, we were just chatting about other topics. But hopefully what you've um, heard from Mad Dog and us, um, you'll find interesting. Oh, yeah. uh, there's actually one other um, recording that we want to yeah. share with you. Before, yeah, before before the microphone was on, we, we did get in. Uh, before we knew the microphone was on, we did get on his, his, his secret retirement plan. So. so here goes the secret. Yeah. I'm actually working on my retirement plan, which is called Mad Dog's Mansion for Math, Music, Microcomputing, and Microgrowing. Wow, cool. Sounds awesome. Yeah, well, the plan's pretty interesting. And the thing is, I've noticed that whenever the the computing industry's on the downturn, the drinking industry seems to be on the upturn. (laughs) Students would always have something that they could... uh, Yeah, you're completely balanced out there. Yeah, yeah, or or something to make money, you know, so... uh, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of stuff to it. There's things like an incubator and stuff like that. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff to it. But it's a very serious thing, and I'm working on a business plan for it. Uh-huh. I hope to do it all with other people's money, which is always a secret. <laughs> of business, yeah. Right? Well, that's a big, big step, I guess. Yeah. So once again, thanks um, thanks for listening. Um, again, hopefully the secret uh, will stay still a secret. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you did enjoy um this particular recording from the um, Linux Fest in Toronto. Hey, we have lots more materials that we're going to be, it's going to be coming out uh, as we get it um, uh, prepped. Right. So along with this particular episode, there'll be probably a couple others that um, we'll release, mm-hmm. uh, but in the next uh, week or so, we'll release a few more. Yeah. And if you have questions or comments, uh, simply send them to us at podcast at timesys.com. Uh, you can also visit us um, at timesys.com, find more information about the podcast that we've recorded in the past. Yeah, I think they still made it hard. You still have to go to like timesys.com slash services slash podcast, <laughs> and it's, the content's there. Well, but if you have any questions or suggestions um, on topics that you would like to hear from us, um, please, 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 please let us know. Um, yeah, you know what we should do, Maja? Maybe we should have the uh, listener mail episode. Uh, because we do get a lot of mail and we yeah. try to reply back, but some of it I think is uh, probably interesting enough to to read over uh, for other folks that listen in. So maybe, maybe we'll do that after we sort of work through our uh, Ontario Linux Fest uh, ma- uh, material. That's a good idea. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks a lot. This podcast was brought to you by TimeSys. Are you new to embedded Linux? Looking for a way to simplify your next project? 
The Linux Link service by TimeSys makes it easy to build your custom embedded Linux platform. Go to TimeSys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.